Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Final History Podcast, Episode 8, Event of the 930s BC. I'm the Final History, and with me is another Final History, and it is not Kevin. We had a huge gap between the recording of this episode and Episode 7, and when I wanted to resume the podcast, Kevin was no longer available. So I had to go out and find somebody else, and I did. Brennan. Hi, Brennan. Hello, Dan. I am Brennan, and I'll be joining Dan for these episodes. Uh, Dan and I have known each other for quite a while, and he also knows that I have a great love of history as well. Um, so I'm I'm glad to be uh, be doing this with you, Dan. Yeah, Brennan was uh, did create the original Final History logo logo, <laughs> and uh, he was sort of following the YouTube channel from the start. And we have done another podcast together, so we sort of know that we can talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've, like I said, we've known each other for a while, and uh, I think uh, we have such similar interests, it seemed to make sense to go ahead and uh, work on this with you as well. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on board. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Let's talk about the 930s BC. All right. So, where... Okay. As everyone knows, in the last episode, kind of left off, where are we starting physically in this episode? In what area of the world? I like to start in uh, Syria and southern Turkey because okay. of the events of the Arameans. I mentioned them before on the show. And the Arameans are behaving a lot like orcs uh, since they <laughs> arrived in the 11th century. But in Syria and southern Turkey, they are encountering the Neo-Hittites, and they have assimilated, they have sort of merged with them, moved into cities, which is against Aramean culture. And they are sort of being absorbed by the superior uh, Neo-Hittite culture. The Neo-Hittites, as I said before, are also quite weird, because they are keeping 
going with their lives as if the Hittite Empire did not fall 300 years before. So they're like <laughs> doing art and statues and gods and stuff, just like in the good old days. And for some so, reason, the Arameans just love this. Well, that's interesting. Um, I know that if you look back in uh, Japanese culture, they have they have waves or hills and valleys, if you will, of acceptance and then shutting out. And what it seems like they do is they ex- for over the over time it's, they accept a new thing or new culture such as China, and they absorb it. And I, I know they like to think they perfected it. Um, yeah, like, and uh, then they like the American culture after World War II. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, is, is, is this something similar? Did it just happen that it was in one of those hills and valleys of uh, cultures? I think the uh, Neo-Hittites would accept anyone who, li- who liked their culture. <laughs> it's weird that the Babylon uh, has a long history of absorbing attacking peoples. So Babylon mm-hmm. was ruled for many hundreds of years uh, up to this point by Kassites, which was an invading barbarian <laughs> tribe. And they just totally assimilated into Babylon and became Babylonians. But the Arameans don't do this in Babylon. In Babylon, they are running around in the fields and stealing stuff. But there, there is <laughs> another culture that has started to assimilate the Arameans as well. And they are right next door to the Nehetites. It's the Assyrians. Because they need more warriors for the armies of Asher. And the Arameans have uh, qualified for that because they are the last people that really beat up the Assyrians in the 11th century. So they're just trying to, uh, they know that they got, <laughs> they hit them pretty hard. So they're thinking, hey, maybe if we can convince these guys, yep. fight on our side. And Assyria is now, uh, last episode, they had the first successful campaigns for a long time, for a hundred years at least. So now they are uh, looking outwards a bit. And there used to be a tradition that uh, Asher, the god of war, who is the one god of Assyria, they have this weird monotheism where if you worship another god, you are really worshiping Asher, but you don't know it. <laughs> so there is only one god, but he's all gods. And their religion breaks down at times, sort of. It's not logical. We'll talk more about that in the 9th century. But there's king yes. in Assyria, mm-hmm. uh, Tiglath-Pileser II. And he dies in 935 BC, and is succeeded by his son, Asher-Dan II. And this guy is responsible mm-hmm. for a lot of stuff and we'll talk more about him in the next and the the next episode and the episode after that. But they're now looking okay. to revive this tradition that after the harvest every Assyrian man who is anything gathers form an army under the king and they march out and beat up someone and take their stuff. <laughs> so it's sort of annual robbing campaigns. But they right. of course uh, see them as incredibly glorious military campaigns for the glory of God. <laughs> the one God. Yes. Uh, Asher. They, they will <laughs> always have... Right now, they have no contact with Babylon because there are like vast hordes of Arameans between Babylon and Assyria. But uh, when they get back into contact with Babylon, they too suffer from this phenomenon that they are absorbed, uh, absorbed into Babylonian culture. So... Uh, the Babylonian gods will have quite an influence on Assyria, and they constantly have to remind themselves that these ancient Babylonian gods are also aspects of Ashur, the god of war. 
and this sometimes breaks down. Right. It's wow. Seems like Babylon must have been an awesome place to be. Yeah, and it's awesome for such a long time. It's uh, built in the uh, Hammurabi forms, the kingdom in the mm-hmm. 19th century BC, if I'm not mistaken. And then it, uh, yeah, when Alexander comes there in uh, 330s, 320s, it's uh, still going on. That's incredible. Yeah, it's it's uh, really amazing. It's uh, for a system of rules to function with that many people inside such a closed area and to last that long. That is amazing. Yeah, we'll talk a lot more about Babylon in upcoming episodes, but it's it's a fantastic Sounds place. good. But we should remember that the Assyrian core cities, the Asher, the mm-hmm. capital, Nineveh, and uh, third place that I can't remember right now, uh, <laughs> they are uh, even older than Babylon. So the Assyrians wow. have been around forever. They already mm-hmm. have had two empires. It's pretty amazing. And it, these enormous stretches of time, they, it's hard to imagine that there is almost zero progress for a thousand years. But Yeah, um, it reminds me of when um, Cape Horn, I believe it was Cape Horn, was first na- you know navigated by, uh, I think it was the English. They, were, they found a tribe of people that had been living down there in such harsh conditions and had never advanced past Stone Age, even though it was well into, uh, gosh, it just wasn't that long ago. And um, I'm wondering if it's something similar, because you have such harsh conditions that the stress on the people is so great that they never evolve. Yeah, Can I, it be a situation? I think there is a tribe well. in Guatemala still that has no contact with the outside world and lives in the Stone Age. Yeah, it, and I'm just wondering if there is similar anti-stress. I wonder if that can also keep a society, um, not necessarily from evolving, but from devolving or improving because everybody's so comfortable. Yeah, it might be. They, they are extremely conservative societies as well because this has been working so long, so they are not inclined to change mm-hmm. anything. Exactly. But the Assyrians will sense. change things and invent a lot of things and make progress very soon. Sounds good. So, um, I'm looking over the notes, and we have some uh, Shoshank. Yeah, Shoshank. He's going to be the main character of our next episode. He's the pharaoh of Egypt. He's the first pharaoh of the 22nd dynasty. He is a Libyan. And at this time, he is doing a lot of work with the Egyptian military. Because Egypt was divided right before his time. Uh, but he's put an end to that. So he controls all of Egypt. There is a small uprising in the Dakla oasis. But he puts that down. And he is training the army. And he is also reaching out from... Uh, Siamun did this a couple of years before. But uh, before the Bronze Age collapse... In the 13th century BC, there was a lot of trade, a lot of contact uh, between different countries uh, in the Eastern Mediterranean, and he is resuming this. Shoshenk is uh, keeping a good relationship with King Abibal of Byblos. (laughs) That's one of the Phoenician trading cities in what is today Lebanon. So what did the... uh, So about the Phoenicians, they had so much influence or so much trade with Egypt. How did they... What were they doing around this time? 
The Phoenicians have also been around an insane amount of time. They have been living in these <laughs> cities, uh, being merchants for since the third millennium BC. Wow. And they are mainly, they want to go on the sea, they want to trade. Uh, mm -hmm. They live in independent city-states at this time, and they are the inventors of the alphabet, but right. uh, they kept all the writing on paper and papyrus, so <laughs> it's lost to us. Man, uh, so the sources are time. really bad, actually, for the Phoenicians, which is weird, as they are the inventors of the alphabet. <laughs> and it's, prob right. it's probably that more people are literate in Phoenicia than anywhere, anywhere else at this time. That's pretty amazing. Okay, I have to ask. All right. Phoenicians, seafarers, and traders, did they actually like seafood? Unlike <laughs> the people in the last episode. <laughs> Uh, we don't know, but uh, I don't know. Safely assume that. I, think. <laughs> I would think so, but you know. I have to mention one more thing about them because uh, they are actually in the golden age right now. They are having a ball because they were one of the few survivors of the Bronze Age collapse. When the Sea Peoples came down the coast from the north and raided everything, the Phoenician cities were fortified well enough, or maybe they. Um, talk their way out of it. So they were sitting behind high walls and they probably sort of delivered supplies to the sea peoples right. and got out. So they, everybody else was crushed. The empires fell, the Neo-Hittites, the Egypt, New Kingdom of Egypt, but the Phoenicians were still there. So they are like, sort of like Sweden after second <laughs> war. We were years ahead of everyone else when the war ended. Yeah, it's like you can. Oh, who else did that? Basically saying, "Oh, we re we recognize you as an invading country. Hey, how about we just give you stuff? You don't have to waste resources. Yeah. Taking it. Here you go. Let's all just be cool." If there is Everybody. a powerful empire, not to spoil anything, but if there is <laughs> one, Phoenicia will survive by providing luxury goods to the powerful empire. And powerful emperors and kings, they want luxury goods. And they know if they murder the golden ghosts, there will be no more luxury stuff. <laughs> yeah. So who is going to deliver like perfume and weird things from the Mediterranean to the king? Nobody. Exactly. It's what what is shocking to me, and it's always going to be this way, I'm sure I'll bring it up again later, is the world is shaped by something as tiny as a mustard seed and as ephemeral as perfume. But the entire world will get dominated by these small, small things. True. It's, it's amazing to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shashank, um, uh, Shoshank, uh, actually he has many pronunciations of his name. I think Shoshank is the correct one. He is mm -hmm. dealing with the Phoenicians and he is not their enemy, but between Phoenicia and Egypt, there's a lot of territory that used to be Egyptian, and it's occupied by the Canaanites and uh, maybe by the Israelites at this time. Hmm. And they are in for a rude awakening. <laughs> the power of Egypt grows again. Right. It's coming. Yep. So, where where else in the world? Like, when you think of the Middle East... Um, we kind of, or in my mind, it seems like this separate place, but it's surrounded. You know, there's what we can, you know, Europe is right next to it. And then you have the Far East yep. just on the other side. 
Um, and we, we see such dividing lines today. But what was going on um, even further east in uh, China, in that area of the world at this time? That reminds me, actually, <laughs> yeah. that uh, the Silk Road trading mm-hmm. contact between uh, the Near East and China uh, we'll talk about that in a future episode, but I just read somewhere that there are hints that uh, there is actually some trade even before this, even in the Bronze Age, that objects from China actually make their way to um, uh, to the Near East. Wow. But it's very um, controversial at this time, but we'll, we'll talk about that more later. Uh, in China, we have the most powerful king of the Zhou dynasty. My or our Chinese uh, listeners have complained. It's not pronounced <laughs> the Su dynasty, but the Zhou dynasty. Zhou? Okay. Just, just like average Zhou. Yeah. Oh, so it's more of the Russian way of pronouncing it? Or maybe it's just my Swedish way of saying Zhou. But <laughs> it's, um, it, this is the Zhou dynasty at its height. We have King Mu, who is more ambitious than wise. He rules China. We don't know anything that happened in this decade, but he's ruling China for a long, long time. And uh, episode six has a lot on uh, King Mu and his Mm -hmm. alleged uh, adventures. Uh, We call this period of Chinese history between 1045 BC to 771 BC the Western Zhou Dynasty. And the difference between the Western Zhou and the Eastern Zhou, which are the Eastern Zhou is going on for about 500 more years. Uh, is that uh, the Zhou king actually is an all-powerful king in China, whereas he will be a puppet king like the Japanese emperor in uh, in the Eastern Zhou dynasty. Oh, okay. But there are like uh, at least 13 powerful states in China that have their traditional rulers, and these rulers have all sworn allegiance to the Zhou king. And the Zhou territory itself is really small, but it's centrally located Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And um, the really bad thing that Joe is doing is that if they have these, if, if a general 
or uh, a government official is being really loyal, he gets, uh, and then a couple of generations down the line, there are new people ruling this territory who is maybe not as loyal to right. your king. And that is the source of their problems in the 8th century BC. Hmm. Okay. Well, it looks like there's, and this is, this is why history fascinates me. The, uh, the building blocks of rebellion and the, uh, just humans in general, um, like the system that was established, but like you said, there's some, you know, the, after generations, the, um, loyalty isn't there like it used to be. Very true. So you, you set up, basically all this is a giant setup for what happens in the future. It's, it's all, it's all a giant puzzle, people. <laughs> We're just watching the edge pieces be put in place, and we don't know what the picture is like. Even today, we still don't. It's like we're constantly adding to it. So, yeah, it's very, very interesting. Now, let's see one other one other thing. I, I think they it was brought up on the last episode, if I'm not mistaken. Started talking a little bit more about culture in the Americas, um, what's going on there, and. Um, I believe at this time, it's where the uh, poverty point culture is really coming into its own. Yeah. Since the fall of the North Chico back uh, about a thousand years ago, the Olmecs, mm -hmm. uh, when they arose, have been the one powerful culture in the Americas. And they must have thought that they were alone in the world, being civilized. But now, finally, there is something in North America. And this is not... Uh, it's always a question how you define civilization. And this is not a civilization that keeps written records, but it seems civilized enough. Um, you have been there, haven't you? Yes. In the, uh, around the Gulf Coast, lower Mississippi. Yep. Yep. I think Poverty Point uh, is a national park today. Um, oh, yeah. In, uh, yes. Yeah, this place, right. you can still see some of their mounts. The mounds, yeah. yeah the, the and they, they were, mounds. were around between 2200 BC and 700 BC. So they have been doing this for quite some time. But this is the peak of the culture. And I was surprised to find this, a culture like that so long before Columbus. And I wonder what happened in 700 BC when they went away. Yeah, there's, there's always some kind of event. I think about uh, like 50% of the people listening to the YouTube show uh, are Americans, uh -huh. so I <laughs> looked really hard to find something from North America. <laughs> but once again in ancient times, uh, the um, South America outperforms North America mm -hmm. because a new civilization rises in South America. These guys don't have writing either, but they are, I think, my favorite culture of all of history. Mm -hmm. It's the second culture in Peru, but uh, the Norte Chico have been gone for so long, so they have no connection. There's over 500 years, probably more between them. They, they are called the Chavins. I think that's the right pronunciation. And their best site is Chavin de Huantar, and that's why they're called the Chavin. And it's important to stress that they have no contact with the Olmecs because there is no way to get from Peru to Mexico. In, at this time, you can't go by sea and you can't go by land because there are uh, the mountains in the way. 
But what fascinates me with this culture is that they have no warfare. They don't have armies, they don't have walls, they have very little weapons. Uh, they probably, I don't think they even have weapons. I think they have some knives perhaps, but not more than that. And they seem to be spreading their culture by just being awesome and making the people nearby <laughs> into mirror images of themselves. Um, this is, this stage is called the Urabariu. It's the first stage of the Shavin and it goes on until 500 BC, which is probably the breakoff point for this narrative structure of this podcast. So we're not going to see the Shavin in any other stage than this. But they That's have a strong religion and it's all focused around leopards. And that incidentally is the focus of the Olmec religion as well. So it seems strange that they didn't have any contact. Uh, so they seem to have, they have no rulers, but they have priests. And these priests take uh, narcotic snuff. So you have <laughs> pictures of the priests with like mo- mocus, is that the word? R- running from uh, their oh, nostrils. Mu- yeah, mucus. Mucus, yeah. Because they are taking this narcotic stuff. And then they're <laughs> shape-shifting into leopards. Wow, that's that's quite a trick. And they have enormous, fantastic arts. You can see this on their paintings. So, uh, okay, they they don't. They are extremely peaceful, and they take a lot of drugs. So, uh, I guess you could call them hippies. <laughs> yeah, it seems like they just uh, on the kind of flip side of the Babylon that we talked about earlier. Yeah, they just, they just hang go, around. They, yeah, hey man, why don't we just eat some guinea pigs? Yeah, uh, their menu is mainly potatoes, quinoa, guinea pigs, birds, clams, and shellfish. And uh, they spend a lot of time at these sites uh, implementing uh, artistic stuff. And they make waterfalls that sound like roaring jaguars. Of course, they really? shapeshift into jaguars, sorry, not leopards. <laughs> leopards are an actual... Oh, jaguar. Right, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> I knew what you meant, but yeah. I didn't correct it. Like, okay, but when they were yeah, high they enough, they might have thought they were leopards. Oh, yeah, they, they went all the way to Africa. <laughs> Those are some crazy drugs. And this culture never, never goes to war with anyone and just peacefully exists there for a very long time. That's amazing. So that means we have no uh, archaeological record of any battles or wars. So we know very, very little about them. But they are just it's awesome, I think. <laughs> it's, yeah, it seems like a pretty laid-back place to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's their their food sources are all, you know, it's a lot of non-violent food source. Because they're not, you know, they're not out hunting you know, large game. True, they're they, just picking uh, up stuff and eating it. Uh-huh. And maybe but they're breeding seeing, some guinea pigs. Right, big old fat guinea pigs. <laughs> just feed the feed the quinoa to the guinea pigs. <laughs> Get them all big and fat. And yeah, even the clams and shellfish that's so it's just one of those easily gathered abundant sources of protein. It's pretty amazing. So the most violent thing they probably see is uh or jaguars. Um that's why they That's why they turn into them. Yeah. <laughs> To, so yeah, to make them chill out too, <laughs> right? You're trying to trying to make peace with the jaguars. When I did this episode on YouTube, it's like ten minutes long, and we're now forty five minutes in. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so I, I decided to fill out the episode on YouTube with uh, when uh, talk a bit about uh, money. 
Uh-huh. Because this is an age where nobody has coins. Coins is, you, mm. you think coins, and when you hear that coins came in the 6th or 7th century BC, you, oh, right. that's a long time ago, but there's an enormous amount of time where people don't have coins. So what do you do? Because trading has been going on since maybe 10,000 BC at least, probably earlier. Right. You need some kind of standardization. Yeah, they, they sort of invent stuff that are like coins, but they are not coins. So there are in the Near East, especially, is of course, that's the point, that's the place where coins will appear. They will appear in Turkey first. And, uh, so you have standardized ingots of metal in, uh, in the Near East. So you have like, okay, this is, and then you have these really strange, um, measurements, but it's five, five wubaduk of silver. But <laughs> it means that the money is extremely heavy. So the, yeah, for using yeah, so very see <laughs> um, money, and uh, in the YouTube show I have pictures of some of this stuff because there is a an ingot the size of an oxide in Cyprus. Wow! <laughs> so, and uh, there is also something called knife money where you have like precious knives that you can trade with. So this this oxys world oh, that's funny three knives, and we have extensive. Um, Lists of how much stuff is worth uh, right before coin disappeared from Babylon. So you can like look at the Babylonian price index, and there it's measured in these ingots of metal. But in China, they don't do this. They have been trading in um, shells of kauri. So it's basically sea fish, uh, sea mm-hmm. yeah, seafood shells. <laughs> and now they have became have become advanced. They're in the Bronze Age. Now they make replicas of shells in bronze. Oh, that's funny. So you move from actually trading literal shells to just <laughs> to recreating the shells in bronze. I guess they got tired of the guys who went down to the shore and just got more money. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Makes sense. This will cause inflation, guys. Hey, you know what it, this is? It's government control. They also seem to add its roots, <laughs> spades, and hoes in China for uh, values of exchange. Very interesting. I didn't know that about the exchange rate. I guess I had just assumed that as soon as we figured out metal, we figured out coins. No, it's fairly late. Uh, it will be a culture with a lot of metal that will think about coins first. But that's many episodes ahead. <laughs> I know. I, I jump onto your. I jump into the podcast for the first time, and I'm just disrupting the <laughs> the timeline flow. <laughs> uh, I should mention the YouTube channel as we had this break in doing the podcast. Uh, the YouTube channel has gone far ahead. I'm right now working on the 730s episodes for the YouTube channel, so you can check that out at uh, Fan of History on YouTube. Uh, it there was a lot more information than I thought when I started this. So many decades are split into three episodes, and I think we need to discuss at some point if we are going to do them as one giant podcast or if we're going to split up the podcast as well. Okay, uh, I like giant podcasts for history <laughs> stuff, but right, and maybe you can tell us, uh, yeah, listener, in the comments, want, how long do you want this to be? Yeah, it's that's something I've always kind of struggled with. Um, to uh, you know, when when we're doing a podcast, do people like just the quick hits on the podcast, or do they want something that's 
a full traffic ride away. That's that's kind of that's kind of been my thought is to make a podcast roughly the length of of traffic. I am so. uh, not only a fan of history, but I'm also a fan of hardcore history. That's my favorite podcast. That's where I got the name uh, "Fan of History." Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dan Carlin, who does that podcast, he uh, he will not stop. He he does episodes that are five hours. <laughs> so, wow! <laughs> no, I can't. I can't do five hours. <laughs> Yeah, but we we want your opinion for the YouTube show. In, on YouTube, everybody's clicking away all the time, so there you have to be short. So that's why I'm splitting up the decades there. But yeah, tell us what you want to hear. How long do you want these things to be? So, what are we talking about next time, Brennan? Next time looks like we're going to be talking about Indiana Jones oh, and the Pharaoh who stole the Ark of the Covenant. Dun, 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 dun. And going to be discussing how Shawshank fights his way into the Bible. Yeah, no, that's Another Shishak <laughs> in the Bible. Shishak. Shishak. <laughs> these names are so so guttural and powerful. Yes. And then we have uh, King Mu celebrates his 105th birthday. That is remarkable. <laughs> it is. And uh, uh, you could question how true it is as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It says, and also, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Africa south of the Sahara. So that's uh, that's what's coming up next time. Yes. Uh, I also like to mention that you can support this show if you think you want to contribute. You can go to patreon.com at fanohistory. Patreon is a site where content creators make uh, promises and keep them if they get enough money. So there is a list of things uh, we will do with the Fano History Project if you like it. So if you could uh, uh, check that out, and if you think this is good stuff, yeah, that will make us happy. Exactly. The, you know, it's a it's a way for people to directly support without. Um, Doing a you know a large if you don't, you don't have to put out you know, give us a hundred dollars that's ridiculous but if you do like what you hear and uh, you want to you this would allow us to dedicate more time um, to making the show and making it better getting better equipment that sort of thing and getting more advertising so more people can come in because the more popular it is the more time we can actually dedicate to it yeah and it's um, it's sort of very clear what you get for the money so there there are commitments from from our side and there is also uh, personal rewards done for people that contribute more for example you can get uh, a youtube show about the historic subject of your choice very cool so i recommend also going to the youtube if you're listening to this on the podcast subscribe like and share also if you are downloading this please give us a good review on itunes and uh from Dan and I, I know we both thank you for listening. Well, you should mention uh, Facebook. Facebook oh, history. Yes. <laughs> it's our most popular outlet for some reason. Uh, we are at Twitter as The Fan of History, and there's a website called thefanohistory.wordpress.com. If you want to leave comments uh, and ask questions, we are very happy, and you can do that on iTunes. Or uh, just comment on any YouTube video. I'm checking the YouTube comments ten times a day, I think. So, 
Oh, dance quick with the comments, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not my only YouTube channel as well. <laughs> oh, well, well thanks. Let's move on. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.